Good morning. Ashley was texting me as I'm sitting there, and, and first text I get from her, she's like, oh, it's a boy band this morning, and, and uh, <laughs> making those types of comments. I remember when, uh, you know, back, it was, it, was, it was always those comments like, oh, why don't we have more men on stage? And, and, uh, and so I thought that was humorous for Ashley to notice. And then she's sending me pictures of uh, Herman and Bernice. She's watching, and she's taking pictures of you guys and, on the screen, and... and, uh, and and we're just, we're praying for you guys. I, I was sitting in the pew and I was tearing up because I don't know, I don't know if you as a church realize the importance of the commitment you just made. I don't know if you fully realize what you guys have committed to. Um, the relationship between a church and an international worker is powerful and it's needed. Um, it's kind of what you guys are saying that through thick and thin, we're here for you. We're here when you're struggling. We're here when you need help. We are here to celebrate with you when things go right. It's a powerful thing, and it's a big commitment. And so thank you, Grand Prairie Alliance Church, for making that this morning for Herman and Bernice, and, and uh, blessings as you guys go forward, and I'm super excited for you. Um, I, I kind of get emotional when people make those, those commitments um, because it's, it's needed, and I'm sure there's a number of you sitting in the pews this morning who maybe the Lord is leading to do likewise. Um, this morning, <clears throat> I don't even know where to start. That wasn't how I, was, I planned on starting this morning. Um, Ashley sends her love. Uh, sadly, she didn't uh, come with the kids. Uh, we talked about it, but I, I got to, into Alberta on Monday, and um, I did a lot of driving between Edmonton and Calgary, and then over to Entwistle, and then back to Edmonton, and then, and then to Grand Prairie, uh, just meeting with a lot of um, international workers and church leaders. And so I got here uh, fr Friday afternoon and I leave tonight back to, towards Edmonton uh, and then fly home Wednesday. And so it's been a really whirlwind of a trip and we decided that our kids would be miserable and if our kids are miserable, we're miserable and it just wouldn't be, wouldn't be good. I think we actually scarred our, our kids when we packed up in Grand Prairie and drove all the way to St. Catharines to the point now where every time we get into the van, Henry asks, Dad, how long of a drive is this going to be? And, and we say, well, 15 minutes. And then he just complains on how long 15 minutes is. We live in a part of Ontario where it takes 15 minutes to get down our street. Like, it's ridiculous. So we, we really wrecked our kids when we drove across the country. Um, but uh, she sends her love, uh, and she really wishes that she could be here. Hello, Ashley. I know you're watching. Um, I want to start this morning with a story that happened to me this past week. I was, I was in Edmonton, like I said, and, and I had about two, and a, two, two and a half hours between uh, meeting with people, and I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to, to get some work done. And so I went to my favorite coffee roasters in Edmonton, um, and that's Transcend Coffee, if you guys have ever been there. Phenomenal. It's a little bit of a plug. Um, and so I, I find a table, and I pull out my Bible and my notebook and my computer, and, and I'm sitting there, I have my headphones in, and I'm just determined to get a couple emails done that needed to be sent. And then I wanted to work a little bit on my message for today. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. Uh, and I can see out of the corner of my eye someone approaching the table. And I, I kind of look up, I take my headphones out to kind of greet this, whoever this person is who's coming to my table. And before I could say a word, he points at my open Bible and he says, how do you think this makes me feel? I, this has never happened to me before in Canada. I, I, was, 
normally I'm really quick to think on my feet, and, and all I could get out was, I, 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 don't, I don't know, um, is all I could, I could think of. And uh, by the time I got my head back on my shoulders, my feet back on the ground, he kind of stormed out. And I don't mean like storm, like he just like blew the doors open. He just, he walked out. It was, it was a nice walking out, but he was upset. And uh, in that moment, I could have done one of two things. I could have put my Bible away, put it back in my bag. Silly. The, the, the coffee shop was full, and he was loud. And I could have, I could have felt silly and, and just maybe a little embarrassed. Or I could have prayed. And luckily, I've faced rejection bigger than this. It didn't faze me. And, and I took this opportunity to pray for this man with a smile on my face, because I'm still amazed that it's just happened to me. And I decided to pray for him. And in, in the middle of praying for him, it hit me. And this isn't a new revelation. This isn't, this isn't something that, uh, this is probably not the first time you've heard this from uh, someone up front. But it hit me. God doesn't need me. The simple presence of the word of God is powerful enough to convict. And, and, and I, I sat there just amazed at that moment that I have such a tool and such a resource in my presence. And, and I thank the Lord for it. And uh, I, I was surprised. I, maybe I'm getting a little emotional of it. But I was, I was surprised in that moment that I didn't have a comeback. And, and, and I was praying for this individual. And, I, and I've been praying for this man all week um, that whatever was going on in his life, whether it was something, a pain that happened in the past or or somehow he looked at the Bible, looked at me, and he was offended and hurt, and, and something happened there. And, and I don't know what it is, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would just continue to convict and lead people to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning, and to um, thank you for bringing me home. Uh, thank you that uh, you have created such a strong body of believers that uh, are willing to commit to send people overseas. And I pray that you would help Grand Prairie Alliance keep that commitment. This morning, Father, I pray that we would all be challenged and learn something new. And uh, may you, not me, not the worship band, not whoever's up here, but you alone be glorified this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, they left him for half dead on the side of the road. And if you're picturing this, picture, you know, a, 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 a ditch on one of our beautiful Albertan roads. Along the same road, a priest comes walking down. And as he stumbles across this man who was just stripped, beaten, and left for half dead, he crosses the street and passes on the other side. Now, a little time later, a, 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 a Levite comes down the same road, and as he stumbles upon this man who was stripped, beaten, and left for half dead, he also crossed the street and passed on the other side. Now, a little time later, another man, a Samaritan, comes down the ro road with his donkey, and as he stumbles across this man who was beaten, stripped, and left for half dead, he approaches him, and the Bible says that he had great pity on him, that he, had, he took pity on him. And he took the resources that he had in the form of oil and wine, and he bandaged the wounds of this man, and he picked him up off the ground, and he put him on his donkey and led him to an inn. 
And there, again, taking the resources he had in the form of coin, he paid for all of this man's expenses so that this man could live. If you're unaware, this is the story of the Good Samaritan found in the book of Luke, chapter 10. One of my favorite parables. Uh, It's by far, I I think, for me, one of the more convicting parables, at least in my life and and, and, in how I kind of see the world and and, and where the Lord uh, has me and where he wants to take me. But this this parable in the section that I told, it's it's a good story, but without the beginning, it, it... that's, you don't get the point. You don't get the message. And so let's start at the beginning. You're probably thinking, Tristan, why didn't you start at the beginning? That's because I have a point to make. Let's, start, let's go back to the beginning. And it starts in verse 25. On the occasion, an expert of a, the law stood up to test Jesus, this, this teacher of the, the law, the, this person knew the Torah inside and out. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew the answer. Christ asked this question back to him. Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And again, this teacher of the law, he, he, knew, he knew what it said. And so he gave the perfect answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and of course, Christ, like, well, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And, 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 and but this, again, this teacher of the law trying to prove a point and justify himself, he asked Jesus this, this question, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this story of, of this man who's on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if we take the context of this passage, the context of this parable, and we, and we, and we take it and we compare it to the, the crowd that Jesus is talking to, it only makes sense that this man who is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho was a Jew, was a Jewish man. When he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and left him for half dead on the side of the road and went on their merry way. And in this story, and again, he's talking to to Jews at this point, experts of the law, and, and, and a, a priest comes walking by and passes on the other side, did not do a thing, lift a finger to help this man. And then a Levite, who is a Hebrew, who claims his uh, descendants, he's a descendant from the house of Levi, comes walking by and also doesn't lift a finger to do anything, doesn't, doesn't help the man, walks on the other side. And then Jesus tells us of a Samaritan who on, you know, the society's totem pole is, on the, is close to the bottom, who's probably been pushed down his entire life by the Jewish society, comes walking down the road, sees this man who is a Jew, and took pity on him, and took the resources that he had, which he probably didn't have a lot of, He bandaged his wounds and took him to an inn, and again, using the resources that he had in the form of coin, which he probably didn't have a lot of, paid for out of his own pocket. Paid for out of his own pocket. And and at the end of this parable, 
Jesus asked this question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And now Jesus tricked him. You know, Jesus tricked this teacher of the law and, and turned it back on him. And the expert of the law, had, he couldn't say anything other than the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, we, we use this parable a lot in the form of loving your enemies, and I've probably preached on it in that light. And, but over the years, I've really been doing a lot of studying on this passage and, and meditation on this passage. And, and it, goes be, it goes beyond that, our, you know, loving your neighbor. And, um, you know, I think we can easily forget who we are in this story or who we can become in this story. And, uh, I'm going to say some things this morning that maybe will be challenging to hear. And, and before you, maybe you come to me and object on maybe some of the things that I'm going to say, I would ask you to pray uh, why you struggle against some of the things that will come out this morning. But in this story, the Samaritan used the resources he had to save the life of a man who, if the role was reversed, the question is, would he... Do the same for the Samaritan. The resources he had to save the life of a man who probably wouldn't do the same for him. And it's such a powerful story for me on how many times do I walk past people who are in need of the resources I had. And like I said at the beginning, and the story of in, in, in Edmonton, the most powerful resource we have, the bo- most powerful tool we have in our arsenal is the Word of God. And we carry it in our pocket every day, probably on your phone. And how often are, do we not go to it? God has given us His Word, the ultimate weapon. What other book has the power to convict? to heal and have in it the roadmap to salvation. What other book? I'm, I'm amazed daily, and I'm, I'm convicted daily on how I'm so slow to use it. Now, in this parable, you know, Christ isn't saying uh, or telling the Jewish leaders to wait till somebody is, is dead on the side of the road before you step out of your comfort zone to help them. We live in a culture that is spiritually broken and stripped and dead. We walk past people every day who are spiritually dead. Every day. The moment you leave your house. Maybe even some of you, the moment you step out of bed. I'm not too sure what your home life is like and the family that you live with. We walk past people every day. And we have a resource that will not only help the bandaged wounds, but point people to the person who can ultimately heal them. Point them to the person who can ultimately heal them. The Bible is kind of like our Swiss army knife, if you think of it. If you ever had one as, a, as an adult or a kid, you know, those, anyways. I think we can easily forget the powerful resource, this powerful resource, I can easily forget. I was sitting with, um, in St. Catharines, uh, I don't really know a whole lot of guys. I'm trying to really connect into the church that we, we are committed to. But uh, a gentleman invited me out to his house, and he brought a bunch of men from the church together. And, and I was sitting next to a guy, and, and he was telling me how just 
just a simple sip of alcohol brings on nightmares for him. And, and you know, and I was just like, oh, like, that's a deep conversation that I don't want to have right now. Um, like, and so I quickly changed the subject. And, and as I was driving home, I felt convicted. Why did I do that? Here's somebody who's spiritually hurting, who is vulnerable, who needs help, who needs healing. And so I, I, I called them the next day and asked them to go out for coffee, and I quickly apologized that I, I, didn't, I didn't reach out and even just offer to pray for him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I felt deeply convicted at that moment, and then it, it hit me, how often do I do this with others? I, uh, I'm part of a, a community, a, a disc golf league. Um, people call it frisbee golf. It's not, it's disc golf. Um, a disc golf league in St. Catharines, and that's kind of my ministry on Saturdays. Uh, I play with guys who are constantly, they start drinking at 8 a.m., and, and they're smoking weed, and, and it got to the point where there's a few guys that I just, I, um, I really connect with. I'm known as the Bible guy there now, but there's some guys that just refuse to play with me, and not, not because of anything I said, but just because of what I stand for, and, and that got to me, and it got to the point where I would stop even bringing up my faith with people. And again, I felt convicted. There's this opportunity there that I'm walking past individuals who, who need, even if it's just the physical presence of the Word of God in their lives. We walk past people every day who are spiritually broken. I was sitting with an individual in my office two weeks ago, and, and he, he's, with, he's with Chris Starr, and uh, he's, a, he's a Lebanese Canadian, and he serves in Lebanon, and and he was telling me of all these things that were happening in Lebanon, all the exciting things and how the church is growing and, 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 and how many people are getting Bibles and, and food and water. And, and he's telling me all of this great stuff that's happening in Lebanon right now. And he's not telling me, you know, the devastation still left by the explosion and the political unrest and the lack of water and the one hour of power a day. He's not telling me any of this stuff. He's just telling me all these good things. And I was amazed at that moment. And, and, I, and I asked him this question. I'm not going to re- reveal his name. As, as, a, as, a, as a Canadian, but someone who became a believer overseas, and you see the church in a different light, where do you, where do you see the state of the church in Canada today? Bold question, I know. And he said, Tristan, the church in Canada is afraid and timid. Afraid and timid. I think those are hard words for us Christians in Canada to hear. We're fearful and timid. And if this perception of the Canadian church is real, and and I I don't think it's actually that far off, how and why did we end up this way? You know, did, did we start moving this direction before I was born? Did it, was it 10 years ago? Was it five years ago when the whole cancel culture came into perspective? When did, when did we become so fearful and timid as believers when we have such a powerful tool, powerful resource? When did we become so fearful and timid? We have become a culture who is afraid to offend and I know that's bold of me to say, but I, I, I believe this is the truth to some degree. Let me put it in a, another way that might get me in a little bit more trouble, and Ashley even warned me on this one. Uh, I probably should listen to her, but I'm not going to today, so we'll see what happens. 
I think we've become a culture who is ashamed. Who is ashamed. When we offend, therefore we stay silent. Sometimes it's easier to be silent than it is to have controversy. I think we've become a culture who is ashamed and we are afraid to even use that word, ashamed. Let that sink in for a second. This is a very hard topic. I'm convicted of this myself. And, um, but this is what I've come to grips with when it comes to being ashamed of the word of God. You know, and I use this term, every time I'm afraid of what people think, I, I'm feeling ashamed of what I believe is true. Every time I'm silent because I'm afraid of offending somebody, even though it's with truth and you're speaking truth, and whether that's about sexuality or whether that's about your stance on same-sex marriage or whatever it is, even though it's truth and, and we're afraid to say because we don't want to offend, we stay silent, and I feel like there's some shame in there. Why are we so af- afraid of what the Bible says is true if we believe it? But remember, and this may come as a surprise to some, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive because the gospel culture goes against our worldly culture. The moment you make that that step of obedience and acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you all of a sudden step out of the path that the world is taking, you turn around and you walk the other way. We are going against the flow of our current culture. And it's offensive to a lot of people. But that's okay because we're actually not offending anybody. It's, it's the Bible. And so it's off of us, and, and, and they gotta, they got to go to God if they're offended. It's off of our shoulders. That weight is lifted. Paul says in, in Romans, and Pastor Caleb I know preaches a phenomenal uh, series on Romans, uh, and so I probably can't do it uh, as, as justice as, as he can. But Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1, um, and you probably know what verse I'm, I'm going to be referring to. Verse 16. And it, it, for those of you who have ever studied the book of Romans, I love it because you can literally feel and hear Paul's heart as he's writing to the saints in Rome. All the way up even as you get to Romans 12 and, and you feel this heart breaking for the church. And so he's writing here to the saints in Rome. Uh, Romans chapter 1, starting at... at uh, 16, he he writes this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. If you jump to verse 17, it says this, for in the gospel, a righteous, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. The word of God is powerful. And it is a resource that was given to us. And we should not be afraid of what others think of it. People will get offended. I'll be honest, sometimes when I read it, I get myself offended because I'm convicted at what I'm reading. 
because it goes against what, I, what I've been doing. The gospel can become offensive. Now, I'm not saying go be arrogant and go up to somebody and say, you're going to hell if you don't believe. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm saying we, we, need to, we need to wake up. This is our call, our wake-up call. There are people dying every day who don't know Christ, and, and it's a scary thing. And, and this isn't an international, as much as my heart is for the nations, the nations are here. And Canada, the church is shrinking, you guys. The church is shrinking. We need to see the people in our own backyards as the mission field. Our neighbors, our family, our loved ones. Christ made it clear when we became Christians that it wasn't going to be easy. He told his disciples to deny themselves and to pick up their cross and follow him. A cross which led to death. This isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. This isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. I want to challenge you this morning as you leave here, the moment you step out of these doors, that you would look up and see the people around you as the man that was broken, beaten, and left for half dead on the side of the road. And we, the church, Grand Prairie Alliance Church or the church in Canada, we have the resources to spare, to bandage their wounds, to put them, to carry them up, pick them up, and then point them to our Savior, who gives ultimate healing, gives ultimate freedom, which leads to salvation, and in eternity with him in heaven, which is the best gift of all. And if people want to reject us because we have that, so be it. Um, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for dying for us. We thank you so much for giving us the resources needed so that we could help others. Father, we know that uh, you don't need us but I thank you so much that you choose to use us, that we get to sit on the, on the front lines of what you are doing in this world and in Canada and through Grand Prairie Alliance Church. Father, I pray that you would raise up strong men and women in you to lead, whether that's to lead within Grand Prairie Alliance or within their workplace or within their own neighborhoods or communities. Father, I pray that you would be drawing people to take those steps of faith, steps of obedience, to realize the, the resource they have in their pocket. Lord, may the church, the Grand Prairie Alliance Church's heart break for what breaks yours. And may we not be ashamed for what we know is true and what we know brings ultimate life God, you are good, and I just thank you so much for how you love us. Go before us this morning and put people in our paths for us to talk to and encourage and, and challenge and be challenged by, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I